0: podcast. I am Brad and I'm joined as always by James. How are you doing James?
1: I'm doing good today. You know that song that you guys just heard? That is a horsehead fiddle, which is a traditional Mongolian instrument and played by a gentleman named Tumur Hoyek, who was kind enough to let us use that on the podcast. Now the Mongols are traditionally a Buddhist people group, which seemed appropriate for the topic that we were beginning on today. Now, this song isn't a Buddhist song, but it is a traditional Mongolian folk song. And if our listeners would like to hear the whole song, I'll play the whole song for you at the end.
0: Good. Well, we're going to be starting to talk a little bit about Buddhism. We've hit Islam and we've hit uh, Hinduism. So now we're going to jump into uh, our next major religion in the world, Buddhism. And we're going to be joined today, I'm really excited, by an old friend. Jack is going to be with us talking a little bit about his experiences in the Buddhist world. So, Jack, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks. Glad to be
1: here. Yeah, we're so excited you're here. Tell us a little bit about your story, just how you got started working with Buddhists, how long you've been working with Buddhists.
2: Yeah, a long time. I think I I did the math on it this morning, and I think it's been 15 of the last 24 years we have been in and among Buddhist peoples in this part of the world. So, started in college. So, I was heavily involved in our college ministry and the opportunity to join a summer trip like probably so many of you guys in your audience with that invitation came. And I told this story in my testimony recently to our small group here, but I I, I was invited and thought, oh, the, the adventure and the fun and the ex- life experience will be great for my life back in America after I graduate from college. And So I I signed up for that trip and was willing to spend that summer overseas. And through that journey and process through that time overseas, the father really just changed my heart, really broke me for, for the lostness. I think if you had asked college me, do you know that there are people in the world who've never heard the name of Jesus? I would have said, yeah, that makes sense. Probably that's true. But suddenly I had these this whole city that we lived in for the summer full of people. And every time I talked to them, every time I engaged in a conversation or shared that I was a Christian, there was this blank stare of who is that? What is that? I don't understand at all what you're talking about. And that was a completely different experience for me. So God really changed my heart, really, um, really changed my view on things that summer. And then that led to, Three years overseas, and then that led to, um, after my wife and I were married, moving overseas and living the last 12, 14 years here in Asia. So,
1: Excellent. And you went on a one-link trip,
2: am I right? I did, yeah. I won't tell you the year, but it was a long time ago. I did go on a one-link trip, and it was, yeah, it was huge in our journey, in my journey. My wife went on one the year before. We ended up being there as singles together, and then you know, on and on and on.
1: Overseas is a great place to meet your spouse.
2: It yes, is. I highly I recommend mean, it. <laughs> right. It's, but when you put like-minded people in the same place and people who have the same desires, it's it happens. So yeah, you can edit that out later. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think in this group we're three for three on the uh, missions experience helping us find our wives. So. Yeah, way to go, yeah. guys.
1: That's right, hand hand. All you single people out there. Yeah. So, when we talk about Buddhists, like I know this all just like just like with Christianity, there are people who are like extremely zealous and fruitful and committed, and then there's people that are like I'm there on Christmas. The people you work with, what what level of intensity do they have?
2: Yeah. So we we work with a Tibetan Buddhist people group. So that kind of stretches from North India, Nepal, Bhutan, through China into Mongolia and parts of Russia. There are Tibetan Buddhist peoples all up and down that little section of Asia, a little giant section (laughs) of Asia. And so the, the people we particularly work with tend to have a Obviously, there are people who, like you said, that are kind of just there on the major holidays and do the things they tend to carry that identity very strongly, though. So the the idea that I am this people group, therefore, I am Buddhist, that's I'm born that way, almost yeah, in the sense of like, because of my ethnicity, my religion goes with that. Those two things are really closely aligned for them. And so everybody top to bottom, left to right throughout the culture would say, we are Buddhist, we are Buddhist, this is what we believe. Now, the level in which they practice that changes throughout their life and based on their job and experience and, you know, upbringing and all of those things. I think If we were to generalize about the the culture that we live in, older people are more active in Buddhism, that Buddhist worldview of reincarnation that says, you know, I'm working for my next life and and what's going to happen after I die. The older you get, the closer you get to death, the more you want to affect that. And so they older people are more religiously active based on the political climate of the time, how much they can do, how much they can practice their religion changes. So. But everybody would have a really strong identity as Buddhist in mm-hmm. in this culture. Yeah.
1: Can you just speak for a minute? Just like, what are kind of some of the core beliefs? Like, what's a Buddhist trying to get to? To accomplish?
2: Yeah. Generally, I mean, really broadly speaking, there's this idea that there's like the four seasons. So we we all know spring summer fall winter and then it just starts over it's a cycle it goes around and around and around a buddhist would believe that all the world works that way that history and time and everything is just this big loop this big circle that's going around and our lives are like that they would believe that you have a life and then when you die there's things that happen and they have all these beliefs about where you can go and what can happen then but it. Ultimately, it comes down to you just start over, you you have a restart, and you're reincarnated as something else. And you have another go at it. And if you do better, you get moved up the pecking order of the value chain of positions. And then you restart. And if you do better, you go up. But if you do worse, if something if your actions are bad, you get reincarnated at a lower level. And ultimately, the goal then is enlightenment or nirvana Or this idea of annihilation, like it's it's very much an annihilationist kind of like the analogy that they would give is you're like a drop of water and your goal is to get dropped into the ocean and disappear. And so if you reach enlightenment or a really high level, whatever that is, you will no longer have to suffer in those cycles of rebirth, but you will be freed from that and turn into nothing. So that's the goal.
0: Mike, I remember uh, when I visited there. I think you were maybe back in the states at that point when I was sort of courting Marcy and and mm-hmm. went for a, a visit there. People were talking about you know we in the West we kind of ebbs and flows, but a lot of times Tibetan Buddhism is very uh, in vogue and people are really interested in it. All these Hollywood stars right. are talking about it, and uh, it seems like what i realized is that this sort of western view of uh, you know, oh people are there just sort of becoming enlightened and and all this kind of stuff there really was a lot more of the like for example the all the beggars that were there and mm-hmm. how people were so unkind to them because they felt like well they they're kind of they they were reborn as a lower person because they weren't good in the other life and so i was really shocked by a lot of that Much different than the sort of Hollywood version. Is that, did you find that when people came, they kind of uh, were surprised by some things like that?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people, believers and non believers alike, right? So we lived in a community at one point that was half the community was believers and half the community were kind of Western Buddhists who had come from Europe or the United States to come experience Buddhism. And a lot of people from both those camps are, are shocked at how it's handled because i think well and the best analogy i've ever heard is i don't know this from experience this is somebody else's story but is the idea of like a pizza a pizza is an italian thing it comes from italy but traditionally according to this teacher pizza was this really thick bread with a little bit of topping sprinkled on top for farmers it was fuel for farmers so it was really bread heavy and lots of carbs and all this kind of stuff but then those Italian immigrants came to the United States and lifestyles change and tastes change and and they get wealthier so they can afford more toppings. So their pizza gets thinner and, and even the crust changes from gluten to, I don't know, cauliflower or whatever you wanna make your pizza out of and your toppings get more and more varied and it goes all the way to Hawaii and you put pineapple on your pizza, which Italians would hate. So pizza changes, right, as it gets westernized. And then we take that and we, we send that back to Italy and now there's Pizza Hut in Italy, which is not really pizza the way the Italians make it maybe, but it's pizza the way the Americans decided to do it. And Buddhism does that, right? It started in Asia, but then it gets exported to the West and it gets filtered through our Judeo Christian worldview. And it gets sort of changed and morphed and it adapts to that worldview and and adjust. And then we try to bring that back over and say, this is what it is. And when it comes back, people in Asia are like, that's not exactly what we believe. That's not exactly how we function. And there is that view of like, If you're reincarnated, that's, that's who you are. That's, that's your fault. It's not my fault. There's nothing I can do to help you. You have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you have to do better works to gain better position in your next life. So if you're a beggar, I will give you money occasionally, particularly on an important holiday, because if it's the right Buddhist holiday, I get more credit in my account by giving you money, but it's all selfish. I'm not doing it to help you. I'm doing it to get me more good karma, more drops in my good bucket. Again, if you if you imagine like a scale, I've got two buckets. My good deeds get dropped in one bucket and my bad deeds get dropped in the other bucket. I'm trying to get my good deeds to outweigh my bad deeds. That's all that the universe is, is a scale. And so- Anything that I do that's a good deed that might be a help to somebody else is strictly to gain myself more credit, more drops in my good bucket. It's it has nothing to do with you or helping you or anything like that. You're on your own to figure out your stuff. So, yeah, it's a really individualistic kind of calloused view of the world, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. And what kind of things would they would they consider as in their in their bad bucket? They're they're dropping their bad bucket like you know, Jesus kind of shocked everyone when he was like, and if you look at a woman lustfully, I'm telling
2: you, what's it, it for them? So the big things you would expect in most cultures, like stealing and murder and all of that kind of stuff. But then there's other things like eating meat. So the Buddhist worldview believes that every living creature has a soul. And so if you kill an animal and eat it, eating that meat or even if you don't kill the animal but you just eat the meat you that's a drop in the bad bug that's considered sin or is is their word for it so but even like squashing a bug or you know if you're digging in the garden and you kill a worm all of those things are going to be drops in your negative side because that worm could have been your great grandmother and you just killed your great grandmother and made her start over and that's that's a sin and so but then there's things that are not sin like What's an example that we might, um, consider, well, even some of, some of the stuff that Jesus teaches about, about lust and all of those things, they're going to be like, that's not a big deal. It doesn't matter how I view this woman or how I view this relationship or that I'm sleeping around or none of that is as important because I'm not eating meat. I'm a vegetarian. So I can cheat on my wife. It's totally fine because I'm a vegetarian and I'm I'm going to the temple and I'm doing my, my walking around the temples and doing my good works. So it doesn't matter how I live my life day to day. So I can cheat at work. I can cheat on my wife. I can lie. I can steal all those things are less heavy on the sin side and, and things. Yeah. Other things are more important. So. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting.
0: This, the common thread so as I said at the beginning, we've looked at Islam, we've looked at Hinduism, now we're on Buddhism. Mm-hmm. And yes, those are obviously very different. I mean, you know, Buddhism, Hinduism have uh, some similarities, of course, but they're all at the end of the day, they're this exact same thing, right? More Doing more good things than bad things, or sort of this earning. Uh, mm-hmm. the, you see this, the uniqueness of grace in Christianity. I know that's not a revelation to either of you, but um, it really is, there's there's nothing new under the sun even with all these different religions it's just different ways to try to earn do more good than bad you know so it's, That's it's right. interesting to hear you articulate that scale idea because islam definitely has that as well
2: yeah and tibetan buddhism is sort of this thin layer of buddhism wrapped over a traditional religion of Bon, which is uh like an animistic religion so animism again i've not study this, but generally an oversimplified sort of definition is just trying to control the spiritual world that's all around us by our actions. So we make sacrifices, we make offerings, we do good works. We we check off certain boxes that are given to us by the spiritual elite so that we can control the circumstances around us. So we had a friend once, a real practical example, who was sick she had pneumonia she went to the temple and said went to the monks at the temple and said what do i do and they were like oh at the last new year's holiday you didn't give enough money so we're prescribing to you to give this amount of money to the temple and if you do that you won't be sick anymore simultaneous to that she was she was spending time with my wife and said what do i do my wife had been sharing the gospel with her and said oh we don't believe you can do things to to make your sickness go away we can pray and ask god to heal you that's how we view the world we believe god has all the power he created you we will pray for you that god will heal you and so they prayed that god would heal her she did not she chose not to give the money to the temple and through taking of medicine and rest and hydration all those things that that we do to take care of our bodies she was healed. She was better. And she gave God all the credit for that. So that was a part of her salvation experience, seeing God answer really practical prayer in her life and rejecting the prescription by the Buddhist monks was the step that she needed for God to really work in her heart. And she's been a Christian for, what, 20 years now since since that moment. So,
1: yeah. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. So, with all this kind of background you're giving us about Tibetan Buddhism, like how do you begin then to share with somebody? Where do you start or where do you not start?
2: Right. That's interesting that you said not start. I think you don't jump in with Jesus. I think Jesus is this foreign idea. Like, I've been in a village, uh, and this sounds like a missionary story you would read in a book, in a dusty book out of a library, but it really did happen to me in the last six or seven years that I was in this village and began to tell the story of, of Jesus. And I, I usually start earlier than this, but when we got to the name of Jesus in the story, this guy looked at me and said, that name, is that the God of the mountain over here to in this village? Or is that the God of this mountain in this village over here? Like he literally asked me, I, I don't know that name, it, I'm trying, he's trying to fit it into his worldview and his worldview has a lot of gods of different mountains around. So he said, which mountain is Jesus the God of? And I was like, oh, you, you don't understand. I, so I went back and started over and this is where we normally start. In this is with creation. Like we, we have to start with, the, there is a God in the universe and he created everything there's one god who made the entire world and that idea in and of itself if they really think about it is mind blowing because they believe in the eternality of of creation that creation has been forever and will be forever that it's the thing that is eternal and so they and again we go back to reincarnation and that cycle of rebirth that creation just has always been it's the constant in the universe and to tell them that there was a time in history that creation did not exist, the world did not exist, but God did exist and he spoke and created everything is just mind blowing when, when they actually stop and wrestle with those ideas and think about that at, at any sort of depth, it really is shaking to the foundation of their worldview. So we start there. And if they're willing to say, oh, that's that's an interesting idea. Tell me more about this God who created everything. And then we go to created you, created the world around you. And then we go to sin. I mean, it's Genesis 1, 2, and 3, right? We we talk about sin and the fall and what sin is. We have to redefine sin because like we talked about earlier, for them, if they eat meat and there's a particular holiday in the spring every year that being a vegetarian is more valuable to their sort of scale. And so if they eat meat during that holiday, the the sin of that is like seven times as much. And so I'm like, we have to redefine sin for them that eating meat is not a sin in, in the Christian worldview. Although it is for you, it's not really a sin to the God of the universe. He's not offended by the fact that you had a dead animal and you ate it, that's because the Again, that goes back to the idea that we are created different than the animals, where in their worldview, they're exactly the same as the animals. So the creation story that God spoke all the animals into existence, but then took some dirt and made man and breathed into him, that's that's different and unique from the animals. That's a worldview shaker. So we deal with a lot of worldview issues early on in sharing the gospel. Long before we ever get to Jesus, we have to deal with these worldview things. Because if you because Buddhism is so amicable and so um adjustable, it can form itself around whatever worldview exists. If you take Jesus, Buddhism can adopt Jesus, right? Buddhism can absorb Jesus and say, Oh, he's a great teacher, he he says some great things, these rules for living your life in the or these guidance for living your life in the Sermon on the Mount are really good. They fit with our worldview of Buddhism. We want to take that. Jesus is going to be one of our teachers. We're going to put that on the shelf. So the, the contrast to the to the lady I shared about earlier who, who was healed and, and accepted Christ because of that story is another lady who we, we gave a Bible to, and we said, this is our book. This is what we believe. We want you to read it with us. She took it went into her house and she has an idol um, cabinet in her house with Buddhist idols. She took that Bible, put it on the shelf next to Buddha and said, this is great. I've got something else to worship and put the book on the shelf and began saying her prayers to all of the idols and now the Bible because the Bible's on the shelf with all the idols. So it's if we don't start at the beginning and deal with some of those foundational worldview ideas and we just jump in at Jesus there can be some assimilation and some collecting of Jesus into their world. And that's, that's not the gospel, right? The gospel is, is offensive to the, to this worldview and is, and that's really a lot of the gospel sharing that we've done. It's just been offending people. It's just been like sharing, sharing this story of God who created the universe and his son who came and died as a sacrifice for their sins, for our sins, is just offensive to so, so many people. They just are like, that's that's ridiculous. Uh, that's silly. I don't believe that. I'm offended by that. I've gotten all those responses. Or that's great. And really the most common response is that's great for you. You're a foreigner. That's your worldview. And that, that'll get you a long way down the road. And your next life is going to be great because you're such a good person. But I am Buddhist. I am this people group. Therefore, I am a Buddhist this is what I believe. I can't, I can't change. So Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: Almost like knocking on stone and just no. Yeah. No response. Isn't it that prompted a couple of of questions kind of going backwards. So one is your people group vegetarian. Cause I was assuming they were meat eaters kind of based on where they at, or do they just kind of selectively jump in? And then if I go and work there, do I need to become Buddhist for a summer or I'm not sorry, right. Buddhist. I don't need to become Buddhist. Do I need to become vegetarian for a summer.
2: That's a good question. That's a good question. No, they're they're not primarily vegetarian. They are meat eaters, but many of them, especially as things get modern and they have access to more food and all this kind of stuff, they, they can choose that. And some of them do. And then also for seasons, for certain holidays, these two weeks are important holidays. We're not going to eat meat for these two weeks, but they also... Have this weird when i tell people this it's weird to them but like every animal is a soul in their worldview so the bigger the animal the more people that it feeds the better like the, it's it's still only the killing of one animal if i kill a yak or if i kill a chicken and the chicken's going to feed our family all, or the yaks going to feed our family all winter the chicken's going to feed me for one day so i will do better killing one bigger animal and only having the sin of that one animal on my on my hands than killing a chicken every day. So they, mm-hmm. and they don't eat fish and they don't eat all these other smaller, like there's a lot of like, we don't want to eat the smaller animals because we have to eat more of them and therefore collect more sin. We eat these bigger animals. So their diet consists of, of cow and yak and some of these other things that are sort of mm-hmm. bigger, feed more people, animals. So,
1: yeah, I like how you said earlier about, Buddhism, just like actually like kind of like wrapping a cover over something else. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it be correct that like in traditional Buddhism, that there are no gods, essentially? So like when you're talking about your your guy you met that was like, oh, is Jesus the God? Is that coming in through bond that they just kind of wrapped Buddhism over the top of?
2: Yeah. So the animistic worldview would say... Every created thing like the sun and the moon and the stars, but also mountains and rivers and all of that has a deity attached to those places, those or those items, those locations. And so that's an an animistic worldview. And then you have to appease, like if you live under this mountain, you have to appease the god of this mountain. So there won't be earthquakes and landslides and the mountain won't crush your village. Or, you know, if you're a farmer, you have to appease the God of farmers so that your crops will grow or the God of the rain. So the rain will fall and your crops will grow all these things. So that's very animistic. And that's the bond religion that's underneath Buddhism. And so, yeah, that's, like, that's not like pure Buddhism that you might find in India or even Thailand or Japan or someplace where it's this separation. And there aren't like Buddhism historically was a reaction to Hinduism, right? Hinduism had this pantheon of gods. And these, I don't know how many, I I don't know my Hinduism, but, you know, hundreds, thousands, whatever of gods. And Buddha was responding to that, that he grew up in saying, oh, we actually have it within ourselves to achieve enlightenment. I don't need all of these gods. So I am the god. I am the thing. Well, our people group has taken that and said, oh, Buddha is a god. And this enlightened person is a god. And this enlightened person is a god. And so, and then we have these like demonic gods that control mountains and rivers and all these things that again, come from the bond religion under the surface. So there's a lot of, let's make sacrifices. Let's make offerings. Let's go to the temple. There's these, you know, four story gold and metal statues in these temples that they go and they walk in circles around and around and around, and they prostrate themselves before all in hopes of, getting some results right i'm poor i want more money i'm sick i want good health my kids in school i want good grades there's a god for students there's a god for everybody so
1: gotcha tell me this kind of hits on a thing i wanted to ask you students go overseas for the summer they get invited to a temple what should they expect should they go in what's your kind
2: of we always like give people the the choice i think there's some who don't feel comfortable doing that but we feel like, um, well, one, uh, so there's sev- several reasons we do go into temples. We go in, we want to go in and pray. So we go into temples and do a lot of prayer walking. And then with when when language comes, again, for a summer, you won't be able to communicate in these places maybe. but But if there is somebody who speaks a little English or there is the ability to communicate, maybe somebody on your team has is an immigrant to the United States and has some language I don't know what all the situations are but if there is ability to communicate we try to draw people out of their buddhist worship into a conversation and like one of my favorite things is to interrupt and destroy their afternoon of buddhist worship with the gospel and let's just let's just get you off topic and get you onto something that's going to change your life so conversations with monks conversations with people they're worshiping being a foreigner in that environment draws a lot of attention so I just leverage that as far as I can because people are interested they they either are interested because I'm so white or they're interested because I speak English or they're interested because I can speak their language and that's a novelty whatever it is I just leverage that and distract them and try to get into a conversation but even with if we take volunteers in, you know, summer teams or whatever, we ask them to just to pray, and that's my that's my summer experience. We spent our summer walking around praying for the people, looking people in the eye and praying for them, and you know what God does with those prayers. What, what if how He answers those prayers is out of my control? But it changed my life. I know that that those experiences. So yeah, we we take people in, and you're going to experience a lot of darkness. There's There have been a lot of our visitors who just, one, it just leads to a lot of tears for some people. Some people don't respond emotionally or physically. Some people get sick and have to leave. Like we've had people have to leave and go throw up and all that kind of stuff. So there is a physical response to some people. There's just a spiritual oppression in those dark temples that there's a feeling of, wow, a lot of people are walking quickly on the road to hell in this place. And they are wasting their lives worshiping idols, like all of the, if you want to read something, if you're going to a Buddhist culture and you want to read something for the summer, I would highly recommend the book of Isaiah. There's just a lot in Isaiah for the for your summer trip that if you're going to be among a Buddhist people that will speak to that environment, but a lot about idolatry and a lot about just this this idea of I took a piece of wood and half of it I burnt in the fire and I cooked food and I kept myself warm. And the other half I carved an idol and I bowed down and said, save me. And just the how ludicrous that that idea really is. And you will see that lived out in front of you in a Buddhist temple. You will walk in and see people who have carved things out of stone and wood. And they are literally bowing down before it saying, save me. And to us as Christians, it looks foolish. And it, it's heartbreaking it will it will really I think impact students to see that, so I would recommend going in and and praying before you go in, praying as you go in, praying as you come out, ask the spirit to be with you, but but observe and watch and pray for people as they're in that environment.
1: Now do you find them ever trying to convert you, share with you? Is that a part of their faith?
2: No, yeah, that's a good question because anytime I interact with with Muslim people, there's always a really open spiritual conversation, and I'm trying to share with them, and they're trying to share with me. But um, Buddhist people are not like that. They're like, whatever you believe is great for you. If and and if they have heard anything about Christianity or do know anything of the gospel, they're like, yeah, Jesus's teachings are great. That's good for you. You keep following that. Your your reincarnation is going to be amazing because. Of the good works that Jesus teaches you to do. But but I'm Buddhist, I'm this people group, therefore I'm Buddhist. And so we're we're gonna we're gonna do our thing, you do your thing, we're both gonna end up in a better place because of that. It's gonna be fine for all of us. Mm-hmm. So there's no need then to convert me. They don't they don't care.
1: So what about in terms of you talked earlier that the, the gospel is offensive and, and you've had these kind of reactions? How do you, how do you, how do conversations typically get started? What's a good way to start it? What is there? I, I, I can't I keep hearing this, this thing of like, Oh, that's good for me, or that's good for you, but I'm Buddhist, you know, how open are they to hearing or to at least listening to it?
2: Yeah. Culturally, it's a really polite culture. The The place where we live is just, everybody's really warm and welcoming. They will always invite you into their house and share a cup of tea. the, the welcome the stranger among you kind of worldview is really, really strong. And so always, always really welcoming. And, and you know, if we're at a tea shop or we're walking the streets or we're at a restaurant or whatever, and especially again, I leverage the fact that I'm a foreigner, uh, other people who are not foreigners who are inside the culture, look at what I do, and they're like, I could never do what you do. But I can just walk up to a table of people at a restaurant and begin a conversation. Because I'm a foreigner, one, foreigners make stupid cultural mistakes all the time, and it's easily forgiven. Insiders can't do that. So I can do things that insiders can't do and have advantages there and disadvantages because it's my third language and all of this. So. Anyway, I just sort of strike up conversation and, hey, I'm not from around here. Obviously, uh, to tell me this, or I ask a question about something, it often starts with me questioning what are you doing? What's going on here? I see you're in front of this idol what's happening to explain this to me or, oh, you, you're a monk. Is this your monastery? Do you live here? Tell me where are you from? Let's talk about your hometown. Oh, I visited there. I was there a few months ago or years ago or whatever it was, or I've never been there. Tell me about that place. Is it beautiful? All this kind of stuff. Just a few questions to get them warmed up. I think if you've ever led a small group Bible study, it really helps to have like a a lightweight warm-up question. And if you can get everybody to answer a question early, the conversation will go deeper, longer, faster. So, I do that when I'm sharing the gospel. Start with a really lightweight, where are you from? What are you doing? Is this food good? What should I order? All those kind of like lightweight questions. Things that are easy for them to give you an answer to, and then slowly spiral that conversation into something deeper. Are uh, you you are you a Buddhist? Is this your practice? Are well, what are you doing? What what are you trying to accomplish here? A lot of questions. Hoping again, some of this comes from the the challenges of the of the larger culture we live in and the, the security concerns we have and the need to be secure. Hopefully that will lead to some reciprocal questions. Why are you in this monastery? You're a foreigner, what are you doing here? Oh, we're visiting, we're traveling. You know, we're here to, to, to take in the culture and the food and the, the environment. We wanna learn and, and all of this, but we don't believe, do you wanna practice? I often get invited to do something. Do you wanna make an offering? Do you wanna do a thing? Oh no. And that's where I'm very clear um, that I am a Christian. No, I don't believe in Buddhism. I'm a Christian. I follow a different religion. I do other things in my practices. I don't do these things. Oh, okay. And hopefully not always but sometimes that leads to well then let's let's talk about you now you've asked me a dozen questions about my religion what is i don't know who christians are what do christians believe or or i don't have any idea what you're talking about or or if they don't ask me a question i follow up with do you know what christianity is do you know who jesus is have you ever heard the stories of of the christian faith and often it's a i have no idea what you're talking about and then it's easy to go to well can i tell you a story can i if we're doing like an english corner it's pretty easy to be like well let me tell you this historical story from my culture that we really believe is important to the foundation of our culture and i can start with creation i can go back in the beginning of time this is a story about all of history and all of that kind of stuff so i just Mm -hmm. I start with a lot of questions of them and then try to transition at some point to answering their questions or putting questions in their mouth that I can answer with the gospel.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So Jack, you uh, I'm curious you you've kind of alluded to a few things like could you go into a temple or people may be asking you to make an offering? What are we when we did our Islam series there was a lot of talk about kind of the contextualization issues surrounding that. What are those in in the Tibetan Buddhist world? Like what are people, is it, what name should we use for God or, you know, is it okay to pray in this certain way? How, How does that work?
2: Yeah, there are a lot of those discussions going on and we, we like to let the local believers there, you know, we know a handful of local believers. There's one group that's meeting as a church Bible study group in the city. So we we try to defer to them and help them wrestle with these contextualization issues. And and so some of the, the linguistically the, the New Testament has been translated into the language of our people. And so they had to make some of those calls early on in that translation process of what to call God and and deal with that. And and it's it's confusing because they chose a the Buddhist word for God. So this idea of gunchoke is. Is God. And they tried to, for a while, we tried to put Yahweh on the front of that, like Yahweh gunchok. And, but really we came away with this idea of like the most high God, which is actually in, in scripture, like this idea when Dan, I think it's Daniel who talks about God in front of Nebuchadnezzar talks about him. as the, maybe that's wrong, but I, it's, it's somewhere that, that one of the Jewish people is before a foreign royalty. And, and it's, they refer to the most high God. And I think we, we've kind of landed on that as, oh yes, this is a God, but it is the God above all the other gods. And so we we try to give that distinction. We put that qualifier on God's name. So it's not just Gunchok God, like any other God, it's the most high God, the one that's above all the others. So that's been an issue. There's some other things. There are some, they use rosaries, like that's the best word for it in English, but these the string of beads to, in their prayers, and there have been questions, should I, should I not? But our local believers have said, no, really, rosaries cannot be used in Christianity. That's a Buddhist thing. We don't want to do that. but in 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 their culture, they have these white scarves um, called katas. they're They're probably six or eight feet long, and they give them as as gifts. They give them as a as a gift for a wedding or for a high school or college graduation or at the, they use them in worship at the monastery as well. And so the question of, can we take this scarf that's often used in Buddhist worship, can we still give that at a wedding, or can we give that at a baptism, or can we give that at a college graduation? And the local believers said, yeah, that we can redeem that. That's a cultural thing. That's not a religious thing only. So that question of what, what is culture and what is religion and untangling that and saying, we want to preserve culture that God created culture and God, God is honored by diversity in culture and God is glorified by your language and your culture. And God loves that. And he is pleased with that. That is not an offense to him. It's your religion that is offending him because he wants to be worshiped and he's jealous for his name. And because you're giving fame to these other names God is offended by that. That is sin, but your culture is not sin. And walking with with our believers to untangle those two things and to unwind that braid and figure out what things of culture we can redeem and say, this can come into Christianity, but what things from religion we have to reject, we lean heavily on our local believers. And, And they don't really understand it, but when we have a conversation about it, we kind of have to point out the, the the tension there and say we see this used in religious practices. Is this something that is religion or is this something that is culture? And they, when they stop to think about it, they can answer the question. They often don't don't ever think about it because it's so intertwined for them. And we have to really help them with that conversation. But they're the ones who can make the decision and and unravel those things. So, mm-hmm. yeah contextualization is is a big ongoing conversation there's always new things can we i mean meat sacrificed to idols is it is it like we read that in paul's letters that's a real issue like there are meats that have literally been sacrificed to an idol and then sold in the market can you buy that meat how do you know if it's been sacrificed or not do you just go by who's selling it but if you like there are gosh this is in the weeds a little bit but There are two people groups in the city, and one of them is the majority people group, and one of them is the minority Buddhist people group. So do you only buy from the majority people because they don't sacrifice their meat to idols? Or can you buy from the minority peoples? Because you want to support the minorities. That's who we're here for. You want to support those local businesses and all that kind of stuff. But if they're sacrificing their meat to idols, can you buy that meat? We've had to, you know, all those are real, like, practical issues day to day. So
1: yeah, some of those things you just don't, if you're here on this side of the ocean, you just don't ever think about really all the different ways that that uh, a person's religion is woven in or intermixed with culture and unweaving it. And even here it can be a yeah. it can be a challenge as well. but yeah, that's pretty interesting. You mentioned you just said that you only had the New Testament translated. That surprises me a little bit,
2: so there is an Old Testament, the Moravians translated. Um, the Bible into this language a long, long time ago. And that translation, again, I don't want to go into a linguistic. uh, (laughs) This is a bit of a rabbit. You can cut this out later, but linguistically, there are high language and low language. There's common language that's spoken language, but then written language, there are different levels of complexity and V- uh, vagueness is really what it comes down to but the moravians chose to translate the scriptures one it's in a long time ago when language is dynamic and always changing but two they chose a really high register for the language to translate it into so it's not very accessible their entire translation so there's been a, a new new testament done and that but then they've kind of tagged on the old moravian old testament with that so we have both but actually uh, th- daily life people who can read have a really hard time reading that old Testament. So, yeah,
1: Yeah. gotcha. That makes sense. And I assume that's in process and
2: yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hope it, hope it comes out soon. Right. We were there when our people's group got, got their translations finished and it was, I mean, it was awesome. And they had had previous ones as well, but like a modern one that was a good translation. Yeah.
2: And ours has only been done the last I can't remember what year it was done, four or five years. So yeah, it's okay. been pretty exciting to have okay. that available. Well, yeah, I hope you guys awesome. are
1: enjoying that as much as I did. We're going to end his interview here. We still have a whole nother bit to cover with him, but I think we got along enough for one episode. On the next episode, we're going to talk with him some about uh, how people are coming to faith, things they've learned about sharing with Buddhists, and then also some about what happens to Tibetan Buddhists after they become believers, are they persecuted, etc. Anyway, it's another great episode. Stay tuned for that coming out next week. And now, for those of y'all that would like to, I'll let you hear the entire Horsehead Fiddle song or the Metahore. See you guys next time. (laughs)